Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lastia Kahoot, and I'm your host. I'm joined by my co-host on this show and in life, Glenn Sheridan. Every episode, we're joined by a special guest who inspires us to consider not only what we think, but how we think, and how that thinking impacts our life experience. It's time to get this conscious conversation started as we ask today's guest, who do you think you are? Hello, everyone, wherever you are, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Who Do You Think You Are? My name is Lassia Kahoot. I am your host. I am here with my co-host in life on this show in pretty much almost everything that I do, Glenn Sheridan. Say hello, honey bunch. Hello there. Yeah, quiet little hello. And today we have another very special guest that I'm super excited about. I'm always super excited because every single time we have someone on, they really do inspire us in so many different ways to just really consider how our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs create our reality. So today's guest is someone that I have met recently through the Global Truth Center Los Angeles. Um, so many of our guests lately have been coming from there, but, uh, but I'm really excited because not only is this someone that I am in class with, not only is it someone that I've had the opportunity to listen to during our meetings and during various sort of happenings, but it's also someone that I'm getting to know through our new prayer partnership where we're meeting once a month to support each other um, in knowing something for the other that maybe the other is having a challenge in knowing for themselves if that isn't too kind of, you know trippy or something. Um, but anyway, our guest today, Joselito Laudencia. Joselito, am I pronouncing that correctly? You pronounced that. it perfectly. <laughs> wow. So Joselito Laudencia, who originally is from the Philippines, but moved with his family to the San Francisco Bay Area at a very, very young age. He has spent most of his life in California, and he has done a lot, a lot that you can read about in this about the author section in his brand new book, The Creative Impulse. Is this backwards? No, it's, it okay. it's correct. <laughs> yes. It is backwards for me. Anyway, so there's tons that you can read in there, but the little highlights that I'm just going to bring about are, is that he is the founder and CEO of Abundant Good Coaching and Training, which is a spiritual life coaching practice that specializes in helping professionals live a more meaningful, purposeful, and spirit-filled life. He holds a Master of Divinity from the Pacific School of Religion, which is part of the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. He is also a licensed spiritual practitioner or a practitioner of religious science through the Centers for Spiritual Living. And he is currently pursuing not one, but two doctorates, folks, <laughs> one in religious studies and the other one in consciousness studies through the Emerson Theological Institute. So like I already showed you last fall, he released his first book, The Creative Impulse. We're going to be talking about it today. He is working on his second. And uh, let's see, what else do I know about Joselito? He likes sweets. Um, he likes to go out to eat. So he likes, he likes fine dining and, and finding delicious meals for, you know, a good price. Um, I know that he is engaged. I know that he is moving this weekend and he still has time to sit down with us and do this podcast. So with all of that, knowing that there is so much more that has brought you to this moment, Joselito, right now, right here, today, in this moment, 
who do you think you are? Mmm, delicious. I, <laughs> I, I love how you know so much about me, like these random tidbits. So to answer your question, who do I think I am? I would say in this moment, I am a lover of life. Mm -hmm. And what that means, so I'll tell you what, what that means to me. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with buffets, like, you know, the all-you-can-eat buffets. Right? Yes. <laughs> I, I love buffets, right? And so, and what I love about it is because, uh, is when you go into a buffet, you could actually like look at all the things that are possible to eat. And then you get to choose what it is that you want. And you could choose something savory or you could choose something sweet. And then if you taste something, you don't like it, you could always say, okay, I don't want that anymore. Let me go for something else. And it's such a metaphor for me for what life is. And so I, that's the way that I look at life is this glorious, abundant, infinite buffet, because, you know, even when you get something, they replenish it, right? And so like, if you want more of it, sure. The answer is always, yes, let's make some more. And so that's how I see my life is always then filling my plate with all this goodness that, that all of life has to offer. Okay, mm. I love that. And the very first thing that comes to mind for me, especially because you just used the word plate, is one of the things that I notice about myself now is kind of one of those times in my life where I have a lot going on. And so that proverbial plate is piled high, like a yeah. mile high kind of thing. Can you speak to that as someone who is a practitioner, as someone who is a coach? Um, what is that all about? I mean, you just talked about, you know, sort of the is, you know, you have all of this, these infinite possibilities of deliciousness, you know, to try and, and sup with glee upon. What is it about, you know, be just like those people right now, I'm one of them of like taking as much as you possibly can on that one plate that you have, you know, almost to the point of overflowing where it is almost sort of like, oh my God, like I can't possibly get through all of this. How do I manage everything that's on my plate? Yeah, yes. Can you kind of speak to that? <laughs> yeah, you mean so other than like getting a bigger plate, <laughs> well, even bigger, okay. bigger plate, right? No, I, no, honestly though, I would say that, um, you know, when, when I, go, so using the buffet analogy, right? So even when I go to a buffet, it doesn't mean that I'm always eating all the time and continue to put stuff on my plate. Mm -hmm. I actually have to go sit down and I actually have to have a moment to enjoy what it is that I'm eating. And, and, I, and even when I'm sitting down to eat, I, I don't put all of it into my mouth, right? I choose, <laughs> let me try this thing. Okay, let me try that thing. And then at some point, then I'll say, oh, you know what? Like, let me just rest for a moment. Mm -hmm. And then, and just sort of get a, accustomed to this, enjoy. And then, and then sit and chat with whoever I'm with and enjoy the time together. And then at some point, you know, it could be 10 minutes. It could be an hour later, who knows? Say, you know what? I'm feeling a little hungry again. <laughs> let me go back up and get something else. Like, maybe it's time for a little bit of dessert for something a little bit different. And so the way that I look at it is, you know, there is so much deliciousness in life and, uh, and we get to choose how we want to experience that deliciousness. Mm -hmm. And so there, there comes a point, you know, I've, in, I've experienced this myself at buffets when I've eaten a little bit too much mm -hmm. and I'm like, mm -hmm. I can't do anymore. How did I get to this point? Mm -hmm. And it, it's usually because it's, and I noticed for myself when I've become a little bit 
to unconscious, meaning like I just was taking too much and I didn't check in with myself to say, was that enough? Like, it was just like, oh no, this is so good. Let me, I was just relying on my taste buds and not listening to the entirety of my body. And so there's something really then about tuning into, like really tuning into like, okay, where am I right now? Uh, how am I experiencing this goodness? What's calling forth in this moment? Am I called to just take a break, take a moment? Um, do I want to taste this to that? So it's, it really is sort of like a moment by moment thing. And then when I do notice if I've eaten too much, then I make the conscious choice and say, okay, let me stop now because this is not, this is not a good feeling. So that, that point of experiencing too much of that goodness crosses over into that like, ooh, this is not good anymore. Okay, I just, I just had a little, let's call it an aha as you were talking and portion control came and not, not so much the word control, but portioning, um, and apportioning, uh, you know, came to mind as you were talking there. And, and I think sometimes the idea, and I, I know that I can speak for myself, you know, to this, but I know that it's something that is kind of a, um, a, can be a race consciousness limiting belief is that there isn't enough. And so there's all of this in front of me right now. So I got to take advantage of it right now because I don't know when I'm going to have this opportunity again. And so the idea, you know, if there is this idea way down underneath that there isn't enough um, or, you know, I don't know when more is coming, then that impulse then or that sort of, you know, automatic, you know, response without really consciously or mindfully considering what's going on, um, you know, without sort of remembering that, hey, a buffet is endless, like there's always more, you know, like there's always stuff going on in the kitchen, there's always more coming out, things are always being replenished, there's always this, you know, this new wave of deliciousness and infinite possibility and opportunity and tantalizing and, you know, everything that's coming out. So, so to just trust and know there's always more that's available, that you don't have to pounce on everything, you know, that what you see on this buffet table is not, you know, the end all and be all to know that beyond that, even what you can't see, that there is more, you know, on its way all the time. So portion out, you know, your, your joy, your, you know, deliciousness, your experience of savoring, and even, you know, the, the, what you were talking about earlier about, you know, sitting, contemplating, taking a break, hanging out with people to savor and enjoy all of the aspects of that buffet, which like you said, isn't all about just eating all the time. So thank you. That was such a great way to start <laughs> yeah, with yeah. food. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so, okay. You know, this is kind of a, but since we have, you know, I have your book in front of me right now and I did just get it the other day. So I was so excited to show you, Hey, look, I have your book. Yes. Um, I did start reading and I had already started reading a little bit because I, and I'm, you must have on Amazon, a look inside portion because I, I, I think I've read, I know I've read some of this before actually having the book in my hands, but anyway, I want to read this passage from here because there are, um, there are two words in here that I'd never heard before. And when I asked Glenn, 
who is such a reader and such a learner and such a sponge of life and loves words. When I asked him if he'd heard of these two words before, he said no, which mm. is a shock and a surprise <laughs> to me because usually the answer is like, yeah, it means blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so here we go on page 19 of the Creative Impulse by Rosalito La Dencia. For those of you following along. <laughs> I'm going to open um, my book too. Okay. Okay. Yes. So um, about halfway down, Starts with, long gone are the days that I imagine God as an angry old white man sitting on a throne. Today, I use words like infinite source, divine intelligence, and the creative impulse. This is the cataphatic way that gives direction to my gaze, the finger pointing to the moon. But in my heart, when I seek to feel God, I feel an immense love that grounds me in peace and comfort a deeply expansive feeling <clears throat> that I can't fully describe. This is the apophatic way that is the moon itself, the feeling of heaven on earth. So I read this after reading, you know, the few pages before when you introduce those two terms, cataphatic and apophatic. Mm -hmm. And I found it so interesting because when I read just the beginning of what those two words meant, I thought, Oh, okay. Well, the way that we talk about God or spirit or source or universal energy or the quantum field or consciousness or love or light, whatever you want to call it, whatever, it, even that, what I'm doing right now, that's kind of, yeah. that's one of them, right? Yeah, that's um, cataphatic. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's the way we talk about it is a blend because there's sort of, how do we describe the undescribable? And then, you know, there's like just, the the knowing and the feeling part so can you talk a little bit more about what those two things mean because it was just it this was such a beautiful passage how are the words spelled okay so cataphatic <laughs> just a little message from glenn here uh cataphatic is c-a-t-a-p-h-a-t-i-c and apophatic is a-p-o-p-h-a-t-i-c um so yeah, yes. so, okay, so Joselito, um, yeah, with your background and- I would love to- and Everything, please tell us a little bit more about those, those two things. And then, yeah, you know, what they mean, what they mean to you, how they show up in your life. Yeah, and so, and so uh, Glenn, just so you know, cataphatic is sometimes spelled with a K. So like C or K, depending like on if people go to the Greek or, you know, or not. Um, and so- you know, this idea of how do we describe God is such an interesting notion to me um, because, you know, as, I, as you just read so beautifully, Lesia, it's like, my God, to hear my words coming through your mouth. Aww. It's like, wow, like, and I said, hey, that was pretty good when I wrote. <laughs> um, and so, no, this idea of like, how do we describe God? And, and especially, you know, the God of my own childhood and upbringing to the God that I know and feel today. And so the, the opening to these two different kinds of ways of looking or describing God, I actually first got introduced to that through Emma Curtis Hopkins in, um, when she talked about uh, your good is your God. And, uh, and I was learning about this in my practitioner studies, where we talked about anything that you could describe as good is your God, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, um, if is 
is health good? Yeah. Is abundance good? Yeah. Is love good? Yeah. So that's, those things describe God itself. And she was, one of the things she was trying to do was teaching her students is that the word God could be such a loaded word Mm -hmm. that like, let's get rid of that, the word itself and then get back to what it means to us, the feeling. And so that really intrigued me like, oh, so these are things that point to that. And And then I started to learn that there are some words uh, that have different intonations to them, right? That get us closer to that feeling. So meaning when I say God is love, I'm like, oh yeah, I feel more expansive and connected. Um, uh, Or if if I use the word mud, right? God is mud, like, okay, that doesn't feel as good. So there's a different sort of tone or energy. And so the cataphatic is that those words that point to what um, what God is that get you closer. So if you imagine this whole spectrum of feelings and words and that they carry different energy, that there's some things that give us that greater feeling. Uh, mud can have that feeling if you see mud in that kind of way, of course. I'm thinking of the show Suits. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but there's a character on that show. It's about all these high-powered, highfalutin lawyers. And one of them yeah. loves to go mudding. Okay. That yes. is his ultimate going to the spa and just just immersing himself in this most beautiful luxurious mud and so for him i'm thinking oh yeah that's that's a spiritual experience yes and so so yes for some people like so it depends on you personally right what gets Mm -hmm. you to that that feeling of the sacred the connectedness the openness and expansiveness and so for that person mudding like does that for me, not so much, right? And so again, it's it's pointing to that that gets us closer to that. That's the cataphatic way. Mm-hmm. And then the apophatic is the, well, there are no words that can describe God. Like God is indescribable because there's a whole totality of God that we are only just experiencing a infinite in a small uh, sense or slice of God itself. Mm-hmm. We can't experience the totality of the fullness of God. And so there's the apophatic way, which says, Nope. Any way that you try to do it, there's no way that no words that you could use to describe God. And so that God then is that feeling that more um, indescribable nature. And, um, and so that helped for me to then like understand when people, because like in our classes, right, you'll, we'll have people who will say, you know, you can't describe God. Like, okay, that's the apophatic way. No, God is love. Okay. That's a cataphatic way. And so the thing is, that I noted in, in the book is some the problem that can happen is when you know the cataphatic way is like the finger pointing to the moon like the where the moon is god itself but the finger describes god like okay god is love god is joy or even god is the catholic uh religion <laughs> because it gets me closer to that mm-hmm. and then sometimes then we'll we'll mistake uh, the finger because it's pointing towards that as the totality of God itself. And so we are not placing our direction on where the finger's pointing to, but on the finger itself. And so it sort of then comes into spiritual practices, right? Like somebody will say, oh, here is the end all be all meditation to get you to enlightenment. Yeah. And then, and then um, the people will buy into it and they'll say, well, that's not working for me. Or some people say, oh my God, that was the best thing in my life. Mm-hmm. The thing is that there is no universal, like that's, that's um, mistaking the finger for the moon. It's like, we're putting so much emphasis on, okay, this person ate only one grain of rice a day to reach enlightenment. That's what I must do, right? <laughs> if that person did that, 
it's like no 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 there there are so many infinite paths to experiencing the fullness of life itself that um that we want to continue to be open to it I'm just scribbling down some notes as I do every time so that I can remember things. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to me because when I, when I read um, the, the, little, the little Buddhist, uh, well, just the finger pointing to the moon versus the moon, I stopped there. I didn't go on. Like I stopped and I'm like, what does this mean? What is, like I really like sort of sat with the little story. Let me see if I can, because it's just a few pages um, over... Dun, 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 dun. Okay, e where is it? I have the Bruce Lee one. Oh, there's a popular saying in Zen Buddhism that captures the apophatic worldview that some have attributed to Buddha, although this hasn't been confirmed that the Buddha actually said this. I am a finger pointing to the moon. Don't look at me, look at the moon. So I stopped reading and I just sort of like, uh, okay. And then I read it again. And then I asked Glenn about it and he sort of, you know, he told me what he thought and then I kept reading <laughs> and then you explain it just a few sentences later. Um, so to me, just like even sort of that experience was kind of what you're talking about where like I got, you know, I, I was contemplating what I was reading, but I got caught up in the, you know, what it was saying rather than being, you know, led to, you know, the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of neat um, yeah well and I'll say that's sort of like the the way that I write the book right it's so the book itself is a, it's a collection of different life experiences that I had that were uh, what I call transformative for me and then where I then talk about how my own interpretation of it the life lessons or the learnings that I got from it and I'll, I'll be honest like a lot of people have said like it's an easy read, like it flows and like they could just go through it and read the stories. And then they said, but there are points in it. They're like, oh, I have to like go back and just sit with that. Like, mm -hmm. I, did I miss something or just like, because it's, there's some profound nuggets that really make you think, huh, what does that really mean? And then how does that really apply to my own life? So I'm glad that you had that experience. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, I mean, as someone who is like, we're in this class, this is advanced consciousness studies class, which I have talked about before in different podcasts, even with our teacher, Dr. James Mellon. And I, like you, am writing a book. And so this is my first book that I'm writing. And it is my intention to publish this book, not just to write it as, you know, a final assignment. And like you talk about in your book, it's taken me many, many, many years to get to this point of actually writing it, you know, not just talking about it and, oh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, do this. I'd like to do this. Oh, but now it's changing and whatever. And, you know, over the span of 10 ish years or whatever, you know, I've said a few times, if I had written every book I said I was going to write, I probably would have published five to seven books right now, by now. Yeah. <clears throat> but that hasn't happened yet. And so, and they have changed, you know, these books that I haven't written <laughs> have mm -hmm. changed, you know, as, as, as time has gone on, as I've evolved, you know, and what the, fir the first one probably would have been a cookbook because that's what I was immersed in. I was working in the food industry and I had my own business and, and people love my desserts and like, will you share your recipes kind of thing? So it was going to be that. Then it was like, oh, 
you know, but I read a book by Ruth Reichel, um, this amazing food critic in, in the States, and she had stories. It was a book of stories. And then each story would have a recipe or two in there that would, you know, be part of that illustration. And I'm like, oh, I could add some stories in there to go with the recipes. And then when I opened my bakery, I could tell the story of the bakery and the recipes and the transitions. And, and then I started to move away from food into health coaching. And then it was more about how to live, you know, a more sort of holistic life. There was sustainability in there. And it just like kept changing and changing. It's like, well, I got to start again. And it's like, well, you haven't even done anything <laughs> to begin mm-hmm. with. So there were all these reasons for, I can't write the book. I can't write the, or, you know, I'm not writing the book. Um, But now the thing for me, you know, it's not, I think it's kind of similar to what you ended up doing where it's not so much about, you know, it's not a how I'm not writing a how to book. Um, It's not, you know, do this process and this many steps for this many days. And I guarantee you that, you know, you're going to feel, you know, a different way, even though, you know, sort of, I could teach a class that, you know, I would feel that way. But for me, it revolves around three very significant stories in my life that have, um, you know, sort of not only um, been a huge, had a huge impact and been a huge integral part of who I am um, or sort of who I, you know, have come to be, but also my shift in perspective on those stories and, you know, the, the events or the person that that story is tied to how that perspective has shifted as I've moved through my spiritual studies over the last four and a half years. And, and then tying in some of the stuff that we learn in, in our practitioner studies and spiritual studies. And I like, for me, this book really, like it is about me. It is for me. However, I feel like there will be some people on the planet somewhere who will be able to relate to at least one or two or thing, you know, even if it's not the same kind of situation, kind of like with your book, you know, there will be something in there that'll make people take pause and go, ha, you know, and if that means they have an opportunity to see something a different way to maybe, you know, experience a little bit of a shift. Awesome. You know, and if it makes it to, you know, the Amazon bestseller list like yours did, super awesome. (laughs) Yes, yes. No, I'll share with you. So the, you know, I had one of uh, my dear friends tell me she read the book and each of the collections of stories that I share, like they're so wildly different. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said she would read the story and the lesson. She'd say, oh, this, I think of this person when I read this. I'm going to get them this book. So then she orders it for them. Then she'd read the next one. Oh, I want this other person. And so like each one resonates with a different piece, which, you know, I didn't have any particular intention that that would happen, but it's just lovely that, that there's something in here in, in my story and your story and Glenn's story that, that we each have that will speak to different people wherever they're at, that could be helpful for them on their own journey. And so, um, you know, I will share though, you know, it, you mentioned it took a long time for you to get to the point of writing a book. And it also took me 12 years to be able to get to write this book. And what sort of sparked it was what happened the year before. So I, I actually released this book in October. And the year before what happened was um, I, I have a business coach that I work with. And he introduced to me this idea of the last lecture. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that concept. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's an exercise that, the, that this university did with their professors. 
And they said, if you had only six months to live, what would you say for your last lecture? Right? And so it was an exercise to get them to the point of like, what is the message that you want to just share with the world, right? Right in this moment. And so he gave me that exercise. And he said, yeah, like, what are three points, right? That you would want to say, I'm like, okay. So I just came up with, like, I really had to think about it. Like, if I could encapsulate, what would I want to share for this? Uh, and the le- it's only like a 20 minute lecture, right? Like, it doesn't have to be too long, but just okay. a short lecture. And then, and so I said, well, this is, these are the messages that I would say. And then he said, okay, now that you came up with it, now I want you to actually give that lecture, right? And he said, and so I said, okay. And he said, I want you to do it um, in 30 to 40 days from now. I'm like, okay, sure. And so like I, I started inviting people and then um, I ended up having uh, within that time period about uh, 50 people in a room just gathered and it was full and it was um, lively and I just gave my last lecture. And that, that experience just taught me like, wow, they're really like, not only me, but each and every one of us has a message or messages that we really could impart to others. And why do we have to wait till it's six months left, right? Uh, that we know, why not do it now? And, uh, and so that helped to inspire me then to, to write this book because I said, well, why not now? Like, why do I have to wait for it to be perfect or whatever? And I'll tell you the other thing that's inspiring is after my mom read it, so she read all of these stories that she had no idea that these wow. things happened to me. And so that was, you know, so that was an experience in itself, right? Because there's some very intimate um, there's some very intimate stories that I have in there um, mm-hmm. that I actually really haven't shared with many people. Mm-hmm. And so she said to me, when she said, did that really happen? Did you really feel that way? And I said, yes, I did feel that way. And this really happened. And, and so, you know, it, that process actually started to strengthen our relationship a little bit more. It's, it's already a great relationship, but deepened it in a different kind of way. And it also inspired her to say, well, it seems like it's a pretty easy thing to write a book. So I'm going to write a book now. That's what my mom told me. And I said, okay. She said, but I don't write. So I want you to write it for me. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> I said, just you, you tell me what your, uh, what your uh, defining moments are in your life. And then we'll start that process. So yeah. we, we've been talking about that. Wow. That's lovely. So, okay. So a few questions came to mind. Um, Okay, one one thing is that when you were talking about the last lecture, which I think is such a such a great exercise, it reminded me of in practitioner studies, I can't remember if it was year one or year two, <clears throat> excuse me, when we had to plan our memorial service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and so when you know a lot of people in my class were like, ooh, but for me it was like, oh my God, I get to plan a party. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so the actual memorial planning that was was super fun and creative and amazing for me, where I got completely turned around pulled apart inside out and just like fell apart because and broke down because of it was um, in trying to write my eulogy. And to me, this sort of reminds me of this last lecture. Um, and I almost, it's like, oh, I would rather hear a last lecture from someone 
than a eulogy sometimes, because a lot of times a eulogy is almost like a resume or just mm -hmm. a list of accomplishments, but not really about the person. And, and so like, it was, it was a very interesting exercise to write <clears throat> this eulogy because we had to decide, you know, when we were going to die, how we died, um, you know, where our memorial was going to be, who was going to be there. We had like the way Dr. James said it, you know, soup to nuts, you know, beginning to end. And so what I did, I even created a program and I took a photo of um, that I had of myself and I aged it to what I would look like at a hundred. Cause mm -hmm. I thought I'm, I, my plan is to live to a vibrant 120. And I figure that probably, you know, if, if that happens, there's going to be a good photo of me at around a hundred that, you know, like we can use. <laughs> And so I put that on the cover of, of the program. And after going to a, a memorial service here for research, I just kind of, you know, followed the, the outline. But when it came to the eulogy, <clears throat> excuse me, I just, um, I was stumped. And, I, and it just brought up all of these emotions um, because I thought, I don't know how to do this. Like, how am I supposed to talk about myself the way someone else would, the way someone else sees me, the way you know, like maybe the impact I've had on other people without saying, you know, she did this and this and this and this and this year through this school with these people and this institution and blah, 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 blah. And it just like, oh my God, it was such a heart wrenching, pivotal experience. Like it just, it, it, I, I did, I completely fell apart. And so I ended up having two conversations with, with two very different people. Um, and those two conversations really helped me to sort of pivot and shift. And then when I sort of sat down after 48 hours of trying and deleting and erasing and, and whatever, I just sat down and what ended up pouring out was more about, you know, if you want to know what kind of person I am, look around to see who is whose company you're in, because mm. that speaks, you know, to what kind of person I was. And yes, there was a little bit about the center that I founded and my students and teaching and the books that I'd written and the podcast that I'd had um, and what I love to do, you know, my garden and be in nature and, and, you know, just that kind of stuff. But it was really about like soaking the feeling and the vibe of like sitting on this beach with all these people in the sand at a bonfire with all this super cool vegetarian food and mute live music coming later. Like that's, you know, that's, that's life to me. That's, you know, the experience of life. And, 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 and once that happened, it just, it flowed, you know, and I don't even really remember what it was. And then to hear that read by one of my classmates, because that's what Dr. James wanted us to do. He said, you're not reading your own eulogy, pick someone else to read your eulogy. And for a few people, they just kind of rattled it off. But the person who read mine, I was like, oh, there was such feeling and such thoughtfulness and, and just like attention to the words and phrases. And, and I'm like, I was a really interesting, good person. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. just, it was, it just, it, it was really a very, very special experience. So I, um, I mean, I am writing this book, but I kind of like this idea of this last lecture and you only have 20 minutes, you know, in which to do it. And in part, you know, you know, maybe like three lessons or whatever, um, that you feel would be a value, you know, to share. So thank you for that. That's yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think part of the essence behind both of the exercises, right, the eulogy, and also the last lecture, is getting to the heart of what matters to us, what mm -hmm. gives us meaning, and what's important to us, and sort of really putting it out, like, and sort of writing it, putting it out there, 
And then, um, and I love the, uh, the process of hearing it back because then when you hear it back, you actually get to see like, oh, it, does that like, do I like that? Does that mm-hmm. satisfy me? And then it gives you a choice of like, well, maybe I, I, that's not what I wanted. And then you could choose to change it up, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something very powerful. Um, what's nice about the last lecture is, yeah, it's focused on what is, what is that like heart, um, that, that heart, heartful message, right? That we really feel compelled to share with other people. It's like the greatest secret on earth that if you could tell, doesn't it could be the world, could be just a few people, right? It's just, but what is that thing that you feel that you know so deep and that is so meaningful to you that you just say, you know what, I would, I would once I get this out there, I feel like that's part of my, my mission, my work to, mm-hmm. to share that with the world. Mm-hmm. Heine okay. Bunch, I feel like it's time for you to weigh in. <laughs> yes, this is a good conversation. Thank you. Um, Rosalito, I, where do I go here? Just on that last point about the last uh, lecture, I think it's, isn't there a book with an actual uh, professor who was, knew he was dying? Is that the story? Yes, yes, that's actually, yes. So that's, right. you, you, actually, you actually got that right. So it actually was a, uh, what, how did it become more famous or more popular was uh, this, this professor actually realized he did, was given that six months to live. And then so it, it brought so much more meaning that like, oh, this is for real now. This is not just an exercise we're doing here. Right. So that is reminding me of when we moved from Toronto to here, um, you know, big changes, obviously. You, we worked and lived in Toronto for 30 odd years each. And around that time, um, as we were moving here, <clears throat> one of the kind of national treasures in music um, is a rock band called the Tragically Hip. And they're huge in Canada. They're like just part of the culture. And their leader, lead singer, uh, Gord Downey, very, he'd always been kind of just hard to pin down in terms of like, what is this guy all about? He's a real poet, but he's just a little bit offbeat. You know, people couldn't quite, you know, figure out where, where was he coming from? And he had been diagnosed with uh, brain cancer. So he knew that like he had some treatment and stuff, but like this, this wasn't going to end in, you know, he was going to die. He knew this, right? And around that time, he just got more and more involved in, I think this is the kind of same idea of things that like, what matters to me, you know, so you deal with things like family and, and your friendships and his, um, his bringing things into the spotlight as real, as it relates to um, uh, indigenous rights in Canada. So first nations, as we typically call Mm -hmm. um, native uh, population in Canada. He was, it was around the time an election was happening, a federal election. So he was basically using his, his position of like, the media is on me because I'm a musician and I'm going to say things. And I, you know, I get, ga- I gather crowds and stuff and he would put politicians on the spot and get them to um, commit to certain changes in, um, in things like water on first nations um, reserves, 
clean drinking water, just simple things. It's like, why, why doesn't, why don't people have that? You know, every other Canadian would have that. Why wouldn't they? And so I really admired that. It was the thing I was really becoming more aware of too. And, but the other thing was, you know, they did a sort of a tour at the end, like the band and, you know, he was getting kind of frail. He was, he was not his normal kind of very uh, charged, um, stage personality he was just kind of get a little, little bit more subdued um but he I, I it was an interview on the radio i think with him and he was basically saying like i think in the end i've realized all this stuff i've been looking for you know my music my lyrics you know what it's all about is just love and it took me a long time to like admit that that it's just that simple you know I forget the actual quote, but it's basically that same idea. It's like, well, <laughs> what more do you need kind of thing? You know, that's, if you go from there, then these issues of like political imbalances and, and people not seeing each other as people, that just falls away as long as you can kind of come from that position of, okay, you know, we're, we've all got that in us. You know, we've all, we're all capable of that, right? So anyway, so that's yeah. that. I love that. I love that. And, you know, underneath sort of what you're talking about is, you know, if, if we are to, to uh, share our last lecture or live our life in the way that we want, one of the things that's, that I've found in my work, because um, I do spiritual coaching, is that people, like a lot of people um, don't ask themselves what they want or what matters to them or what's meaningful to them. And a lot of people, especially I work with a lot of people who uh, find themselves in jobs that they just absolutely hate, or they like look back on their life and say, how did I get here? I'm not happy. What like, and so then the process that is, is starting to then ask, well, like, what do you want? What matters to you? What gives you meaning? What gives you purpose? And then, and sometimes it's, it's things that you want to pursue. And then, as you said, at the very end, you say, oh, there's a grounding underneath all of that, which is love. Like it was just love expressing in so many different ways all along. Um, can I share just really quickly, um, like a snippet from my book? I'm not going to read it, but I just wanted to share a story because I Oh, yeah, you... absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's because um, there are so many stories in, in the book that are meaningful to me. But this one I wanted to just share uh, is how I got to this perspective, like of, of understanding, like, what do I really want and what's stopping me from having that? And so it's one of my earlier chapters and I, I think it's called The Pain of Being Gay. It, it's, um, if I'm, yes, chapter two, <laughs> The Pain of Being Gay. And, you know, in the chapter, I, you know, I shared how, uh, you know, growing up, I have three sisters, um, and growing up, I knew early on that I was gay, and uh, I would often, as a teenager, cry myself to sleep at night because it was uh, very painful because I was not out, and I would this I played a um, I played a video in my head <laughs> right of me like an adult with a wife and kids. And then realizing that I was going to be so unhappy because it wasn't true to who I was. And so I would cry because I thought I'm going to have to hide my whole life. I could not imagine ever being out ever. And so, 
it was, uh, so there was a moment then in my teenage life where I said, you know what, I don't want to feel this pain anymore. And so I made a decision to um, end my life. And so when I made that decision, I actually mapped it all out. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like tell my family, I said, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm tired. I want to get some rest. Don't, don't bother me till the morning. And then what I would do is go into my room and just take a bunch of sleeping pills. And then just, then they would find me in the morning. And so I was in my bedroom at my house that one night planning it out. And it's like, okay. And so then it came, so I figured out how it was going to happen, what I would be doing. So then the remaining question was when, so when will I do this? And so then I thought, okay, um, I wanted to do it when nobody would suspect anything because I didn't want to be interrupted. So I said, let me just wait. Like, so I said, maybe I'll do it next week, right? So I was saying next Wednesday. So I said, let me, so I, I looked at the calendar saying Wednesday is when I'm going to do it. And then as I thought about it, I said, well, I can't do it Wednesday because on Thursday I had a field trip that was happening at my school. And I really wanted to go to that field trip. So I said, okay. So I said, let me wait then till maybe a month later. And then I said, okay, that's the date I'm going to do it. And then I said, wait a minute, there's a school dance that's happening that I really want to go to also. <laughs> so I said, let me just wait, right? And then it's, so it's, this went on in my head where every time I picked a date, then it was Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Okay, I can't wait till, because I want to experience all of those. And then I said, so I finally came to the end of high school, right? I like, and I said, okay, I'll do it after high school. <laughs> and so it was like, what, two, two or three years from that moment. And then I said, well, wait a minute. Uh, after high school, I've always had this dream of going to New York. And so I want to go to New York and just experience the bright lights and like, go to Central Park and all these things that I imagined New York would be. And I said, I will wait till after I go to New York that I will make this happen. And then finally, the light dawned on me <laughs> and it said, and I said, why am I like wanting to do this when there's so much life that I want to live? And why not just live life how I want to live it now? Mm. And so then I just, and so I got out of my head and saying, oh, I don't like, there's another option here, right? It's to actually live the life that I want to live. And so that moment was a very pivotal moment for me because it said, like here I was thinking that I had to live by someone else's rules or what I thought was someone else's rules. And I didn't have to do that. I could actually live my life on my own terms and live life joyfully. And so that moment uh, became my, my uh, crystallization of, of how I see life and why I'm so impassioned about living the life that your heart wants you to live. And so, you know, the subtitle of my book, The Creative Impulse is answering the highest calling of your heart. And so why not answer the highest calling of your heart? Like what's stopping us? And so, yeah, so that was a very, um, that was one of my more special stories that I had in the book. That is so amazing and so interesting and so different from my experiences with attempted suicide. Not something that I talk about publicly, but I feel like since the door has kind of been opened, um, 
the one time that I did actually attempt suicide, um, I planned it out. I thought about it. I, you know, and, and sort of, you know, the, you know, how I was going to do it. Um, it was a mixture of pills and as much alcohol as I could get into my body. Um, because I, I, I didn't like the idea of cutting my body or violence or didn't know where to get a gun kind of thing. Um, and just, you know, this is what I can work with. So this is how I'm going to be resourceful and how I'm going to make it happen. Um, it was, I think when I was 15 years old, maybe, no, maybe 16, because I was living with my dad, our parents had separated by then. And I was living with our dad and my sister was living with our mom. And, um, and my dad was away on business a lot. And so, you know, 16 year old had the car, had the house, had a credit card to buy food, groceries, (laughs) did not use that money for that. Um, And, uh, and, and I was home alone most of the time, you know, like I, I didn't go to school, I would make excuses. It, It just like, it was a very, very dark, bizarre time um, where I sort of, you know, thought, oh my God, there's all this freedom, but there was also, there was no, there were no limits. There were no rules. There were no, there was nothing going on. And, um, and it just, it wasn't a good place for me to be. There was a lot of buildup, you know, that led to that, but, but I planned it when my dad was away, when I knew that my mom and sister weren't going to be around where nobody was around and not just to like, not be interrupted, but like, no one was going to find me for days until I was good and dead kind of thing. Right. But what ended up happening was for whatever reason, and I think it had to do with the cats, my mom and sister decided to spontaneously come over that night. They found me, took me to the hospital, had my stomach pumped. And, and then there was sort of like the fallout, the, the shame and humiliation of not even being able to, you know, do that and succeed at that. Never mind all the other things that I had failed at in my life leading up to that, facing my friends, you know, what are they going to think? And then, you know, even the thought of going back to school, the teachers after all the lying and whatever. Anyway, that all passed and there was stuff that happened. And then there was another time in my early 20s when it just, I, it, things got really, really dark and really, you know, just what kind of unmanageable, unlivable. And again, suicide for me just felt like it's the only way out. It is the only way to make what all of this stuff that I am feeling, not feeling, experiencing, going through, it was the only solution. And, and I, and I, in what I'm writing right now, I have written about this. I don't know if it'll make it into my book or not, but I have written about this where, um, I did end up going to, um, the Don Valley bridge. And this was before they put up barriers on there because a lot of people would jump off the Don Valley bridge down to the highway below and, and commit suicide. And um, an event because it happened so often, they ended up putting these big nets and whatever on to to try and prevent people. They put um, phones at either end, like sort of you know to call a suicide hotline. So this was before that, and so I, I still you know vaguely remember standing there, looking down at the highway below, thinking, yeah, there's no way this you know this will not work kind of thing because like once I leap, that's it. You know, I'm gonna splat to the bottom, maybe be run over by a car or whatever didn't even really think about the fact that, you know, I might end up causing an accident or, you know, some car pile up or collision or whatever sort of thing. But I stood there, I kept standing there and standing there and standing there. And, and that time it wasn't, you know, sort of like that something pulled my mom in to save me. 
there was something in me that said, get off the bridge and go and find your aunt. And my aunt, who is my dad's younger sister by 10 years, was almost like a surrogate mom for me when I moved to Toronto. She was sort of halfway in between me and, and my parents. She was super cool, super stylish, fun. Um, it, it like, just like, I loved her and I love her still. She is, she's still that, you know, like even in her sixties, like she's, she's like the bar of like the way that I would love to look and be and, and take care of my body and stuff like that. She's just so amazing. Um, and so I thought if there's anyone, you know, that I could turn to and, and feel even remotely safe with right now, it would be her. <clears throat> she was in another city. She was in Mississauga. She, um, it was a work day for her. I had never gotten there by transit. Um, somehow found my way there, got there after like two hours or whatever of buses and streetcars and blah, blah, blah. Only to find when I got to the um, reception, they said, oh, you know, Vera's not here today. She's home with a migraine sick. And I'm like, okay, now I got to go even further into this city that I don't really know because I've only ever driven in there with her in a car. Somehow found my way to her place. She was absolutely stunned when I showed up at her door. <clears throat> and then we just sat and talked and cried and, you know, whatever happened, happened kind of thing. And then I ended up getting some, some help after that. Um, and then sort of the next most personal experience is shortly after we moved here, where it was like maybe five weeks after this massive move from Toronto to Victoria, getting ready for a Sunday service um, at CSL Victoria. Everything's prepped, whatever. I grabbed my phone to set up the phone for streaming on Facebook so that Reverend Carrie's talk could be streamed live. And I get a message from one of my dearest and oldest friends um, in Edmonton, where I grew up, that one of our other really, 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 really close friends had just committed suicide. And it just my world stopped. I went outside and this is one of those times where literally like my knees buckled from underneath. And I just, I could not believe that this has happened. But on the other hand, I could believe that it happened. Like it was shocking, but not surprising. And, and I guess, I don't know, maybe it's because I have, I have had those thoughts myself and I have, you know, have felt the, the pull of, you know, that life force, you know, that creative impulse, if you will, you know, either through someone else, like my mom with me when I was, you know, 15, 16, or, you know, that just like that, that energy, that, that, that beingness, that knowingness that just like moved me physically from the bridge to get on a bus and go and do what I did to find my aunt. Um, the, this, like the thing that I felt for him was that he's at peace you know, with all of the, the, the struggle and the, the anguish, you know, that, that he had gone through, even though like there were so many amazing things in his life that he loved and valued and everything to think that on some level, whatever it was that he was working through, that this was the option that for him meant that, you know, he could finally be free or whatever, even in the shock and the disbelief there was comfort in, in knowing that. And, and it, it, I mean, it was very sad um, because it was a surprise for so many people. Um, and it's still, you know, my heart 
hurts a little when I think about it. But, um, but those are sort of the three big, you know, experiences that I have with with that. And so it's just, it's interesting to me how some people just don't get it. Some people just the, you know, the idea of taking your own life, um, whether it's sacrilege or it just doesn't make sense, or there's always, 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 always another option. Um, I really appreciate and value for those people who do understand whether it's because they have, you know, maybe thought about it themselves, maybe tried it themselves or have experienced it in some way, you know, through someone they know that the judgment isn't there, you know, that it's just, it's, it's something that can, that can help us to grow, that can help us to really, really anchor ourselves in that energy, in that life force, in, in the, just, you know, what an absolute gift, you know, it is to be alive and, and to be living and to, and to keep finding, you know, other ways to, I don't know, to just find that joy, you know, and be that joy and live that joy that you were talking about. So, you know, I'm sorry that this kind of took like a slightly darker turn, but that all, that all came up for me, you know, as you were, and I haven't even read the chapter, you know, so. Um, so it clearly there is stuff in here. I mean, that's just one of the, what, 12 stories that are, mm-hmm. that are in this book, Thir- 13 stories. Yes. A baker's dozen thirteen <laughs> yes. stories that, um, you know, definitely will mean something to people and affect people in some way. Um, like, look at that, which, you know, I just talked for 10 minutes or whatever it was. So thank you for that. Well, no, and I appreciate you sharing those stories because, you know, often in, as, as you know, in our spiritual circles, right, there's this idea that that is sometimes around that everything's supposed to be rainbows and unicorns, <laughs> and that like everything's all good. And, and yet, you know, there's um, one of the re- one of the things that we tend to not address is the the real pain that people are experiencing mm-hmm. in their lives. And rather than just glossing it over, you know, then just having the space to just say, okay, so this is what's happening, or this is what happened. And, um, and it's that part of the, the authenticity, the, the part of us that we don't try to hide mm-hmm. uh, and say, this is also part of me and my history and who made me and what made me who I am today. Yeah. And, and so I could hear from your stories, I could hear the tenderness in what you were sharing. Um, and underneath it all, I could, I could also see your, your own awareness and expansion and growth, like that's, that can hold it all, even as painful as some of those memories might have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Glenn. I just need to pause for one second, because I need to, just one second, sorry. Okay. Okay. So this, this might be an edit moment. Okay. Maybe not. I'm not sure what he's pausing for. <laughs> oh, I do I, do I have time for another? Okay. Okay. So do I have time for another quick, quick sharing or? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. We're just going to keep going. I don't know. Honey bunch are you muting? <laughs> so. Okay. So uh, just so I know where to edit and we're back. Okay. Joselito, you wanted to share something else? Yeah, and so this this idea of 
of those, like even in the midst of those moments where it might seem the hardest, right? And then how, do, how even in those moments, can we experience our connection, right? To the divine or mm-hmm. to God. And so I wanted to share just another one of my stories. I think it was called uh, The Night I Had a Gun Pointed at My Head. Uh, was the title of that chapter. Yes, chapter seven. (laughs) Um, And so this, you know, people have asked me, which stories do you like? I say, I love them all, but there there are certain stories that have so much, um, so sort of defining moments for me. And so this was one of them. So in my my mid twenties, I had moved from, San Francisco to Los Angeles to do some work, some political work. One night I decided to go out to a gay bar and uh, went and had a beer. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go home. So I I was walking towards my car and I saw this guy sort of hanging outside. And so we struck up a conversation and his, and I call him in my story, Juan. Uh, that's not his real name, but his name, Juan. And so after chatting for a while, I said, um, he said, oh, can I come over to your house? Cause I live close by. I said, okay, sure, <laughs> come on over. And so I said, um, just, uh, I'm gonna get to my car. You just follow me. So he followed me to my house and I, I parked my car and then I was waiting for him to come. Then he finally came and then I, as I was walking through the house, I said, okay, we're going to have to keep the lights off because my roommate is asleep in his bedroom with his boyfriend. He said, okay. So we walked into my bedroom. I turned on the light, closed the door. And then we started chatting. And then he was like looking around the place, like looking around the bedroom. And I thought that's sort of odd. It's, it struck me that it looked as if he was like casing the joint, so to speak. Right. And then, um, then he said, oh, you know what? Um, I'm expecting a, a page. This is in the age of pagers. Right? So he said, I'm expecting a page from, um, from my friend. So, and I left it in the car because so I, I need to go get it. I said, okay. So he went to the car. I, I met him outside. He took a little while, then he came back. And then he said, oh, I did get a page. I need to go, but can I get your phone number so I could call you? I said, sure. So I ran back in, inside the house, wrote down my phone number. Then I came out handed to him, then we were just chatting a little bit. And then all of a sudden, out from the shadows, this other guy showed up. And I just looked at the other guy, I'm like, who are you? And then I, then the guy I was talking to, originally Juan, um, then he brings out a gun. And he said, we're here to rob you. And then talk about knees buckling. I was like, oh my God. And so they said, we're gonna take you inside um, and um, don't do anything crazy was what they told me. So each one of them held, like they stood on each side of me and were holding my arms, right? And walking me into our house and then walked straight into the bedroom. And so Juan directed the other guy and said, um, put him on the bed. And he told me, take off, take off his, or he told the guy, take off his glasses so I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he told the other guy, here, hold the gun and just keep it at his head. And so then, so here I am laying on the bed on my stomach, my glasses are off. And I'm saying, you know, I'm saying, please don't hurt me. Just, you know, take whatever you want. 
Um, and they just said, don't do anything crazy. Don't do anything crazy. And so then while this guy's holding the gun to my head, he's sort of laying next to me, almost on top of me while he's holding the gun. Like I could feel the steel of the gun right next to my head. I, the other guy, then I could hear him going through my drawers, opening my closet doors, like just starting to rummage through my stuff. And so after about maybe 10 minutes or so of laying there, I just said, okay, what can I do? And then I got this, uh, I heard this internal voice and it said, humanize yourself. And so I said, okay, I said, I need to, so I, I whispered to the guy who was holding the gun right next to my head because he his head was right near mine. So I said, I whispered, hey, can I tell you something? And he said, like, and he was a little shocked, like, what, what do you want? And I said, um, can I tell you what I'm gonna be doing tomorrow? <laughs> and he said, uh, okay, sure, right? And I told him how I was actually speaking at a rally the next day. And it was a rally that was promoting, um, making, uh, uh, bringing about a livable wage for all the workers in Los Angeles, you know, promoting that. Mm -hmm. And then he said, wow, really? That's cool. I said, yeah. I said, because all of us could use more money. It's, it's tough for a lot of us, you know? And, and then, um, then I said, can I tell, tell, tell you what I do for a living? And he said, well, yeah, sure. And I said, yeah, I, I do a lot of work in communities of color with low-income folks. And so I just was telling him all about the political work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then he said, wow, that's really cool. Right. And so as I'm talking and saying this, right. And I could feel his, his opening and connecting with me, yeah. I suddenly felt it's almost like this, this um, washing over of, of, I'll just call it spirit, right? Washing over of spirit in that moment. And I just felt super crystal clear and calm and peaceful. And I just knew that like, I was so present in the moment as I was talking to him that I knew that like, there was no other moment other than that moment. Um, and, and all the fear had subsided in me as I was just connecting with him. So we ended up like whispering to each other, like while he's holding the gun to my head and then this other guy is going through my stuff. The other guy, every once in a while, he would say like, don't go crazy and do anything, you know, or, mm -hmm. and, and he just, and so he was doing his thing, right? But then here I am on the bed like, with this gun next to my head. And then finally, um, at some point, the, the guy who had the gun next to my head, I don't know his name, right? But he said, he said, okay, we're gonna get ready to leave now. And I said, okay, well, just don't hurt me. And he said, we're not gonna hurt you, okay? And I said, okay, and I just felt it, like, okay. Um, and then this was the odd thing, right? So the light was on in my bedroom. My bedroom was facing the street. So the other guy, Juan, uh, he turned off my light and then turn it back on again. And then he did that three times, like on off, on off, on off. And then all of a sudden I heard this car revving its engine outside. I was like, oh my God, there's more. There's somebody else out there involved in this. And then the guy next with the gun uh, pointed at my head, he said, okay, we're not gonna hurt you. We're just gonna tie you up, <laughs> you know? And then, so then they, they took my belt off my, my jeans and they tied it around my ankles they took my telephone wire, which is the time when you used to have telephones attached to the wall. They took the telephone cord 
And then they, they wrapped my hands behind my back on with it. And then they said, um, okay, just count to 50 and then, um, and then get up, but don't do it. Don't do it anymore. So I, I counted out loud, like one, two, and then I heard the door open and close. And then I heard in the living room and the, uh, the front door open and close. And then the car revving away, driving away. And all the while, like, I'm still counting. <laughs> and so I got to 50 because I'm like, I don't know if they're still around. Mm-hmm. So I finally got to 50. And then I just got up and I just thought, what just happened? You know, and then I, I shimmied myself up because I was tied up. And I hopped over to the bedroom door and I was able to open up the bedroom door and I yelled out to my roommate. I said, hey, Conrad. And then I, his sleepy voice came up and he said, yeah. And I said, can you come out here for a moment? And he said, yeah, sure. Like, is, is anything wrong? I said, yeah, I was just robbed. And then like, I just started bawling in that moment. And, um, and I, I share that story because, you know, um, because it's, it's so interesting to me to be like in such a predicament and uh, fearing for my life and then feeling what I, can't uh, what I would call the grace of God, whatever we want to call it, just that moment of just feeling so present and connected and, um, and protected all at the same time. And, uh, and then later on, just, just not having any animosity towards them. It was just like, I, in my conversation, like I told him, I said, I get why you're doing what you're doing, you know? And, and so there was not only me humanizing myself, but me humanizing them, right? So seeing them for who they were too in all of this, that they weren't just, you know, two-dimensional beings, that we were all real people, like making it through life, right? And so we mm-hmm. found ourselves in this predicament. Um, so yeah, that was a, one of my other special stories that I just wanted to share with you both. Mm, thank you that it, it, it really, it makes me think to something that we speak about a lot is that we are not our experiences. Um, you know, we are not the things we do that we are so much bigger than that. And for you, you know, in, in that experience, which, I mean, I can only imagine, um, to not only, know that for yourself but also know and feel that for you know the the people who were robbing you at the time that's that's beautiful um honey bunch do you have anything that you would like to share um share no okay i yeah i've I've had a similar experience to that last one but um the hmm. and I guess I choose not to share it I mean my family kind of knows but um, <clears throat> this is one of the things where I think it's important to have stories and it's important to have these points of reference in our lives to kind of um, to kind of reach back to or to focus our attention on but I I think okay I don't I don't want to go into the story because it's just too 
it's too much. Uh, it's really too much. <laughs> and, but I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that's, that's something um, it's very valuable. Um, what I was going to say, just to pivot back to the book, and again, I haven't read other than what last has read to me. Um, you know, it, the title of the book includes two of my favorite words, creative and impulse. Um, I am, so for, as far as creative is concerned, that is like, I get very overwhelmed sometimes with just, um, my ideas, my creative ideas are around words and wordplay and story. And it's, as you said, it's like an infinite buffet of availability. It's, um, it's, it's, a, it's great to know that there's so much available and there's so much to choose from. <clears throat> and the other aspect of that is that we, you know, it's like a language that we're learning all the time to, to, to grasp and to utilize and to put into practice through things like our people would normally say intuition is our kind of hotline to spirit or whatever. Um, I prefer impulses because it's like, if you actually did listen to those impulses and like just follow them, then there would be, I'm pretty sure there'd be less of a, um, a separation. Like, you know, I know in the, in the Jungian tradition, they have the idea of the shadow that we each have, and we have to learn to integrate it in order to be a fully actualized human being. You know, you need to access your darkness, you know, even like the idea of the yin and yang, dark and light, like the darkness is, is, Another way of looking at it is um, it's, it's the chaos of available um, energy that you, you fashion into, into experiences of light, I think. Um, and the creative, like my, my sort of word, my most, comfortable um idea of what god is like when i overhear Alas's um community they they usually say you know um god or all that is it's another of my favorites all that is spirit um there's there's so many versions of that but to me creative spirit is like that's who i am and that's what everyone is and that's what is around me um but I think if we were actually better at following our impulses and listening to our dreams, you know, there's, there's a certain language that's going on that we're, it's just sort of like zooming past us much of the, the time because we're not paying attention <laughs> to like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, if I, if I say yes to that thing, if I say yes to this experience, if I, if I embrace um, even sometimes the things that I feel, you know, 
could I get to know that person? I, there's something about them that is a little bit uh, uncomfortable for me. Maybe saying, let me delve in for a while and see what that's like. Because obviously that there's an aspect of me in that experience that I'm getting from that person. Um, so I'm saying like, if we were able to integrate the moments, like the creative impulses and that listening and just saying yes, we probably wouldn't have as much of this thing that we put into a corner that we don't want to think or talk about that we, we often think of as the shadow. Um, it would be lighter because we, we'd be more in motion. We'd be more flowing and um, yeah. So that's where I am. So I'm, I mean, also I'm curious for you is does that phrase or does that, how did you land on that title? Yeah, no, and I'll, I'll say I love what you just shared, right? And the, um, and, and I so am right there with you in everything that you shared. Uh, you know, the idea of the creative impulse, when I wrote this book, I had no idea what it was going to be about. I really didn't. And I just said, let me just write these stories about my life that were defining for me. And I wrote them. And after I came up with a number of stories, I said, well, let me write all the lessons that came up with each of them. And as I gathered them all together, I said, okay, what holds you all together? These <laughs> the stories. And then that's where the idea of the creative impulse came up. Like, oh, each of the stories points to that thing within me that was guiding me or just pointing me in that direction of my own unfolding, as I'll call it. Um, whether that was me, you know, being the teenager, suddenly finding that impulse like to ask myself well what do I really want right I want to experience this or or that impulse within me that said humanize yourself and by humanizing myself I humanize them as well mm -hmm. um, and so the that that's where the title came from it just came upon me I said oh I love that title when I first started sharing it with people some, some people said is that an art book that you're putting together <laughs> like like, no, because they said, said creative, right? They're like, I'm like, no, no. So I added the other piece, answering the highest calling of your heart. Um, and so, you know, in line with what you said, I totally agree that I, the way that I look at it is that there is that part of, you know, it's, it's sometimes I, I don't know the right words. It's that whole uh, apathetic way, right? The indescribable, because I want to say, Sometimes I want to say inner being, like is speaking to us. And I'm like, wait, it's not just my inner being. It's all of life itself is, is speaking, right? And so it's hard to, but I know that there's something that's speaking to me because I'm clearly hearing things or feeling things. Um, uh, and so I believe that, that there is a continual broadcast that's, that's being broadcasted that is uh, showing us, you know, um, what I will call the path of least resistance, meaning that there are those things that, that we, I believe all of us want to experience more, like more love, more joy, um, anything, right? Anything that we call good. And our creative impulse takes us and points us to that pathway of least resistance. It says, here's, here's the easiest way. And the thing that gets in our way for the most part, is ourselves, right? And it's like, oh, either because we don't believe that that's possible or that it can't be that easy or whatever reason we might come up with. And so, um, and yet, you know, uh, Glenn, I could see as you talk 
that when you listen to it, like it's just, it made you feel lighter. He said, it made you feel more expansive. And, and so that's, um, I believe that we, like when we do settle down and listen, and sometimes it comes as whispers. And as another friend of mine said, sometimes it's like a two by four in the head, <laughs> like something's just going to knock you on your feet to say, you know, are you going to get the lesson now already? It's like, okay, fine. Right. Um, and it's all about our, our willingness to be receptive to receiving this broadcast that's always broadcasting to us. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I could go in a bunch of different directions there. Sorry, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this thing is, is the book. I'm sure, as you said, you, you started it as kind of an idea of filling a room for, with some people or some friends and listening. Um, it, I think a lot of that is going on now with, with Zoom um, sharing, we'll call it, right? Um, we're kind of getting better at doing a different kind of listening, but you know, it's also at the expense of not having the energy of a room. You know, I'm, I'm really missing that, you know, with not going to um, uh, the Unity Center I go to. Um, it's... Uh, I'm, I'm just sort of curious where that energy is going, you know, what, what does this mean? Like, because there's a, there's a choice being made and it's like, you're not going to have some of this, you're going to have more of this. So let's go deeper into this, like this, this zoom experience, this online communities, who knows in a couple of years, what that would look like in terms of um, like, I, I've been listening to, um, tuning into a Facebook group that is uh, going through a book that I really love, um, Nature of Personal Reality by Jane Roberts, Seth's book. It's like a channel thing. And it's from the 70s. And listening to these, I've been, in, I've been on a few of the calls, but it tends to happen when I'm at work. So I can't really, I can listen, but I can't really, you know, jump in. But I'm finding that I, when I listen to the, to the backlog of um, of the one hour discussions that started like last March or April. Um, I'll listen to it. And then if I forget to press done and like or whatever, I'll go and listen to the next one. But I realized I'm listening to the same one again, about halfway through, I realized, oh, this is another, how did I miss her or him saying that thing? I just listened to this like six hours ago or yesterday. And it's, and it's like, Oh, what's that? It's like, I, there's a deeper level that you can go to just by, you know, it's like, um, it's not even like two point coin, two coats of paint on a wall. It's like, no, watching a movie again or reading a book again. It's like, okay, I'm a different person clearly because that guy yesterday did not pick up on that. Right. And that's important. That thing he just said, <laughs> you know, it's a really strange um, aspect of this new kind of where we are. You know, I don't want to call it normal because I don't. I don't you know, like Glenn, I just love like, 
you know, I could see the delight that you experienced in re-listening and then realizing, oh, I didn't, why didn't I hear that? Like, this is really so cool to know, right? And that is what I think the journey of life is really all about. It's like, there's this process that we, like, there is a delight in, in our own um, growth and our own becoming, our own unfolding that you got to experience, like, say, oh, that's so cool. You know, and, and I love that you mentioned the Seth books because, um, you know, those were some of the first books that I actually uh, started uh, reading. So the quick story is, so again, in my teenage years, I was living in, in the city of Fremont, which is outside of San Francisco. It's just a sleepy suburb. I went to the library and then I went to the, I went to the occult section. <laughs> so I was like reading the occult. And so then like I saw this book about from Seth, right? And I opened it up and I saw the introduction said, congratulations, you have now walked on the path and will now begin to start meeting people who are of like mind or something like that. I'm like, and I'm a teenage kid. I'm like, okay, this is cool. So I said, let me check this book out. So then I went in line, uh, again, this sleepy suburb in Fremont. And then this woman behind me, she just turned around and she looked at the book. She's like, oh, I love that book, you know? So, and I'm like, oh my God, it came true. I'm starting to meet people who are of like mind. Like, what is this thing, right? And, and so, yes, like I believe life is always speaking to us. Life always speaks to us. And it's about our ability to just open up and continue to be aware and to listen and to catch it. Um, and so, yeah, your, your experience then is just like, yeah, we experience things to at one level, but then we could revisit them again and see there's so much more richness that we might have missed. Mm -hmm. And it's, if there's no, there's no end to the depthness of life itself, mm -hmm. always, always, always speaking to us. Yeah. That was a thumbs up for those of you who are just listening. <laughs> and not seeing this. Glenn just gave a big thumbs up to Joselito. Yeah. Yeah. Death buddies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I no. I have never really told anyone that before. So there's new things Ooh. coming through. So. <laughs> well, there's the whole other avenue there that you you and Glenn could you know go down because I have not read any Seth books. I am almost ready to embark on one. Glenn has recommended one. I just find with all the reading and writing for class and everything else I have on that you know plate from that buffet that I have piled on that um that reading for pleasure right now is uh <laughs> not that being said i did start listening to the book breath by james nestor um which was inspired by glenn listening to a podcast i can't remember whose show he was on joe rogan someone else yeah joe rogan uh last year i think talking about um his his deep dive into breath breathing the nose how it works um mouth breathing versus nose breathing and um and it's really cool and it's really cool i'm very excited to listen to this just because of the welcome home and spirit breath um launch that's happening in march which is just a few weeks away so um glenn is going to be right back okay <laughs> Um, so Joselito, what I wanted to just mention, you know, the sort of the thing that you were just talking about, how 
there's no there's no end to the the depth you know like the the work what i like to call the work um is soul excavation to me it's just you know it is constantly digging and digging and digging and unearthing and digging through more to just keep discovering you know what is ultimately always there to begin with it's never mm -hmm. gone it's you know never you know it may be sort of hidden if you will but that there's always more to find always more to discover and the more that you do the more you actually then allow yourself the opportunity to live that discovery to experience mm -hmm. that discovery you know in in a more meaningful spirit-filled way i think i read that in someone's bio somewhere earlier today <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um what i wanted to say though was that it doesn't always feel great you know mm -hmm. that 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 expansion that expansion doesn't always feel like unicorns and rainbows um that that what i have come to realize for myself is that some of those most intensely expansive experiences for what me feels like now can feel very much like plummeting into a depression um and and i know enough to know that that's what's happening and for me it's about the the breaking or the shattering of you know the veneer the shell the vessel the container you know whatever sort of metaphor you want to use of what has been you know holding this 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 energy this creative impulse up until this moment but because that impulse is so infinitely powerful and so strong and so active you know all the time that there come many points in our lives and in our own evolution and expansion that that container has to be broken open and as it's being broken open then that is when you know we can go to that other level of beliefs and old stories and limitations and rules and and you know contracts whatever you want to call them that are you know clinging to their last bastion like of existence and hold you know over you sort of thing and to let them go when they have been there for so long and have been part of our normal part of our comfort zone part of what made us who we are to you know allow them to break free and to break free from them knowing that they're still there but that we're not holding on to them anymore that with that can come, you know, not only, you know, uneasiness or dis-ease, but, you know, lots of pain and discomfort and, and, and just, you know, anguish for lack of a better word, as we allow ourselves to evolve into, you know, the next most amazing expression of, of who and what we are of that creative impulse that is always, always in flow. What do you think about that? <laughs> beautiful 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 and you know especially within this last year right with everything that we've been experiencing the whole world around the pandemic mm -hmm. talk about breaking open what we thought was how life was supposed to be right mm -hmm. many of us have found ourselves in new situations and Glenn you spoke to this too like now like we're we're not spending as much time in person and it's all Zoom and we're having to learn different ways of connecting and how do we appreciate that, right? And so there, um, yeah, there, it, can, it can feel like great discomfort, yes, yes. And then um, on the other side of it too, right, there's a, 
and a, a greater expanded what what can I call it joy or <laughs> that that's actually on the other side like time and again I think life has proven to me that uh, what I think is something challenging uh, I go through it and then it I'm broken open and then I'm like okay what do I do with this and then I realize oh it was actually I, I'm actually a lot stronger <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as a result of that. Uh, and it's all in hindsight, you know, when I, when I actually realize it. Going through it isn't always fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, there's something joyful in the, in the excavation. I love that phrase, soul excavation. There's something joyful for me in the soul excavation because you get to see, like, what, what is really down there? Like, mm-hmm. Are there diamonds or gems or like, and all of them are so beautiful, even though they may look like they're not. Like they're all beautiful. And we're like, oh, let's put some like finally we could shine some light in this thing that has been craving light yeah. for so long. Yeah. And there's there's no depth to it. It yeah, it's endless. Yeah, it really is yeah. endless. I agree with that a hundred percent. Well, um okay, just if you're on the listen to this on the podcast you're not going to appreciate what i'm doing because i'm turning my laptop but i don't know if you can see this or not okay glenn's showing a bunch of his books on his desk which really is like a drop in the pan of the ocean of his that's the seth corner sorry (laughs) oh lovely i I love that i um i moved we had my desk in an area where i just wasn't using it um so i moved that into the bedroom and I'm gonna have to purge my books. This makes me really sad, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. There'll be room for other books maybe, or maybe just space is what I need. I don't know. Well, anyway, so that thing of, last year you started talking about that excavation and a new um, a new version. In, in the kind of Seth worldview, um, that I didn't really understand until I read um, the books written by this lady, um, Linda Madendal. She basically was a big Sethi for, you know, decades. And she wrote these books called um, Living a Safe Universe, which is from a Seth phrase, I live in a safe universe. So she took the, I live in a safe universe, meaning like, as Einstein said, you have to decide one day whether you think you live, if, if the universe is friendly or if the universe is not friendly. That's, that was his like explanation of like, that's how you go forward in life. Make that choice and just sort of act on that, either on that path or you're on that path. Right? So she wrote this book, these books and it, it's, again, it's another deep dive into these, um, these ideas, which is just, you know, you create your own reality, you get what you focus upon. That's, you know, the more you think about something. Um, okay, last is saying I'm freezing. Okay. Um, the, that, the one thing that I got out of the rereading of the Seth, or the reframing of the Seth material by Linda's books, uh, was this idea that you, and it's, it's a weird thing, but you're not building like you, 
the the idea that time doesn't exist i mean people have been more and more accepting of this idea it's just a framework and time doesn't exist um einstein said you know time is an illusion but albeit a, a, a very um what is it a persistent one albeit a persistent one so if there's no time then it's just basically you creating over and over again your reality from your basically your beliefs right what what you are it, what you experience is your beliefs and your emotions and your expectations you know you're anticipating to have good things happen in life wake up feeling i have an amazing life you know i'm blessed whatever i'm going to be surprised by some amazing um uh, interaction with someone you're basically building all the time you're just like it's not that you're building on something you're making a new thing every moment you know like it's it's like nanosecond by nanosecond and which again it's hard to talk about because what what how can i say time doesn't exist but i'm talking about nanoseconds you know it's it, it's just a weird paradox right um but this thing I, I was sharing with last year the other day, this, this one of these um, ideas I had was that um, time may not exist, but story does. You know, we're, we're just creating a new story. Like, even if we redid this podcast, it would be completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just take one thing off and you're just, you know, it's, that's a different story. I didn't, I didn't pay to see that movie, you know, or that read that book. Um, it's so weird, you know, but it's very, it should be comforting that you have this in you to kind of um, expansively just go and create and um, flow into, um, into different directions all the time without feeling the need to be like, without feeling um obligated to some version of yourself or some idea you know it's it's okay to just look and say take a breath and go i'm 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 fine with who i am i'm going to do this now you know it's an amazing thing you know to be able to say i i can create you know back to your creative uh impulse thing it's like that's part of being energy being god being part of all it is is like i'm those are the tools i'm working with so clearly i'm going to make things and i'm going to create certain ideas of contrast and you know, i don't like that so much and then there's these other resplendent kind of oh wow i've never had this before and never you know experienced this you know so that yeah i just had to share that that's that that idea of you're building, I have on my um, board over there, um, every, mo every moment is a starting point for creation. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, it's not, um, it's not like history and it's not this built on this, built on this. You can look at it that, that way because it it's easier to tell the story then, like right? you piece the, the parts together but really it's simpler than it appears. You know, you're just doing it 
making it anew, making it fresh, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, the, it's the idea of um, like, what's the story that you've been telling yourself or what's the story you are telling yourself, right? That helps to direct how you want to live. And, and the, the story that's unfolding for you is every moment is a, a fresh new moment, right? <laughs> open to creativity and how freeing that is to actually realize, oh, you mean I don't have to carry that other story I used to carry around for so long and I could always choose a new? Like, so Lesia and I have been, you know, in our advanced consciousness studies class, we talk about this idea of um, creativity and, you know, uh, Amit Goswami talks about situational creativity and fundamental creativity, where situational creativity is where we base uh, our creativity, creativity based on what we already knew, preconceptions, how we lived our life, our, our stories, all of that. So um, they likened it to brainstorming in a meeting, like, oh, let's brainstorm. And you tend to be limited by what you already know, like, uh, whereas fundamental creativity actually connects us back to our intuition, back to source itself to say, wait a minute, what if I let go of all preconceptions, conditions, and open up to this fresh new moment and say, and that spontaneity of like, what is wanting to come through in this moment? And that's the fundamental creativity that we can tap into that goes back to that creative impulse, that intuition, that thing that's always speaking to us. And it's about us being open enough to it that we could allow that to come through as us. And so it's a, um, and it could be very scary. It could be very scary to be living on the edge like this, you know, we call it leading edge of our consciousness of what we know to be true because we're stepping into new realms of being uh, where space-time doesn't exist, right? I'm like, what? What do you mean that doesn't exist? And, um, and so those are, I, I believe those are the moments when we ex experience the quantum leaps in our own journey, when we really tap into that and let go and fully give ourselves over to the, this more expanded way of living our lives. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, and as a, I'm just going to kind of wrap it up because I'm looking and we've been going for almost two hours, guys. What? Um, it's it for me that you just sort of summed up what I, what I endeavor this podcast, you know, to be is that, you know, really this, there is a structure, you know, like there's, there's me, there's Glenn, there's a guest. Um, we have had two guests on before. And when that was like, do you want one of us or both of us? It was like, oh, we haven't had two guests on before. <laughs> Let's do it, you know? All right. um, but it's really, aside from sort of like the bare bone structure of, you know, I introduce the guest, ask the guest, who do you think you are? The guest answers. And then we have a little thing at the end. The rest of it, even though there might be some some inspiration from the bio or something that you know one of us knows or both of us know about the guest, you know something that we have in our history together, the the conversation is spontaneous and and just like Glenn said a few moments ago, if we were to do another one, there's no way that we could repeat this one because mm -hmm. it, you would answer the question differently. Mm -hmm. I would introduce you differently. You know, yeah. like our little Hollywood squares thing here would show up differently. <laughs> like yes, everything yes. about it would be brand spanking new in that moment. And it's not even that like everything would kind of go from there, even though for us within that, you know, time construct, that's what it sort of seems like. 
every moment that podcast is a brand new podcast, every single moment that, you know, we're, we're in it together. Um, and that's just so exciting to be, to know that that is happening, you know, that spontaneity, that fundamental creativity, and that we are allowing ourselves to be in the flow of that fundamental creativity as it's happening, as we're, you know, creating and participating in it. That's, I don't know, that's, there's a thrill in that for me. Yeah, no, I, I think it's magnificent. Keep it going. I love Keep it. Keep it going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So you know what? We could totally continue this conversation and perhaps we will another time. But for today, we're going to wrap it up. And, and even though we're already, you know, feeling light and spontaneous, we're going to keep going with the spontaneity and we're going to move into our rapid fire, super rapid fire question round, which is um, where Glenn is going to ask our guest, Joselito, a bunch of questions and Joselito has one minute, or actually they have one minute together. Um, these questions are going to be asked for one minute. And Joselito, just answer off the top of your head spontaneously from as fundamental creativity in action. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then at the end of it, you're going to win something. Yay! Listening, win is in air quotation marks because, you know, there is a prize, but there isn't. So... <laughs> There's always a prize. Okay. So um, <clears throat> I have a timer ready to go here. Mahoney, whenever you are ready, just let me know. Okay. And you're still freezing on and off, but we do seem to hear you. So just uh, go ahead and talk. It is getting chilly in this room. So maybe that's the problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the internet's cold. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready? Or am I saying go? Uh, you can say go. Okay. Ready, set, go. Do you sing in the shower? Yes. How many tattoos do you have? Zero. Are you more wave or particle? Wave. Which do you prefer, jigsaw or crossword puzzle? Crossword. 21st century or 20th century? 21st. Buddha mind or Christ mind? Christ mind. Singing or dancing? Dancing. Swearing in Spanish or Tagalog? <laughs> Tagalog, yes. Tagalog. Okay. Swimming or skiing? Swimming. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Reading or writing? Writing. Cher or Lady Gaga? <laughs> Lady Gaga. Uh, showers or baths? Showers. Exercising the body or the mind? Uh, the mind. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. I don't know how many answered, but this is going to be your prize. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Life is a prize. Okay. And it should take less than a minute to read this because there's a quote and then there's a book, a uh, bit of the book. From... Julia Cameron's, where's the thing? Transitions. Okay, it's basically like little meditations and reflections, prayers. She's married to Scorsese. I don't know how they make it work, but they seem to be a lovely I never that. knew that. What? Wow, I had no idea. That's a prize right there. 
<laughs> okay, you double one. Okay. Um, so the first quote is from the science fiction writer. She recently died. Um, fantasy. Uh, Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin. She said, love doesn't just sit there like a stone. It has to be made like brick, remade all the time, made new. And then this is uh, Julia's reflection on that. She says, I build my friendships with the conscious architecture of my integrity. My design contains space for change. My friendships are flexible and resilient. I do not demand that my relationships remain static and unvarying. Instead, I allow my bonds to be mutable and varied. At times I am close and at times I am more distant from even my closest friends. Such is the nature of such is the natural tide of relationships. I accept the changing tides of my friendships. That's really nice. I allow flow and mutability. My heart is a spiritual shoreline with intricate tides that I honor and respect. Today, I respect the changing garden of my life. I focus on those areas that are in blossom and I allow other areas to lie fallow, knowing they too will blossom in their turn. There you go. Mm, very lovely. I love that. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much to you both. Thank you, Honey Bunch, for co-hosting once again. And thank you, Joselito, for being a guest on our show. All these amazing nuggets, just, you know, the buffet, the last lecture, the um, the sharing of your stories, um, and, and really sort of experiencing stuff just with you telling them, not even reading the stuff. Congratulations on your book. Um, I'm excited for everything that is unfolding for you. And I'm amazed that your living room looks so good, even though you're moving this weekend. <laughs> yes, it's my, it's a fake living room. Yes. <laughs> Joselito's background always looks so good. And it looks so good. It looks like it's real, even though. <laughs> right. Anyway, thank you once again for being on Who Do You Think You Are? And thank you to everyone who has listened, who has watched. If you enjoyed what you liked, please like, subscribe, share. Let us know what you thought by leaving a comment. And um, oh, before we go, Joselito, if people want to get a hold of you or get in touch with you to learn more, where can they do so? They can visit my website at AbundantGood.com. All right. We will put a slide up for that so people can see it. And again, thank you to everyone for watching, listening, supporting. We are so grateful for everyone. We love you all and look forward to seeing you for another episode soon of Who Do You Think You Are? Bye for now. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. This has been an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lassia Kahoot, and I have been your host. My co-host has been Glenn Sheridan. We'd like to thank the following for helping make this podcast a reality. Today's special guest, Joselito Laudencia. Music, Vasco Lorenco, copyright, 123rf.com. Background illustration, Sakma Staircase, copyright, 123rf.com. For more information on this podcast and Alasia Kahoot's Soul Excavator, please visit www 
lasiacohut.com. If you like what you've heard, please like, subscribe, and or let us know by leaving a comment. Thanks for tuning into Who Do You Think You Are?